program. We are back with another episode of the Awesome Friday podcast. This week, we are once again talking about two movies. Uh, first up is Beans, a Canadian coming-of-age story set against the 1990 Oka crisis, currently in theaters, uh, and Jungle Cruise, the latest Disney family adventure, which is both in theaters and on Disney Plus with premier access. My name is Matt, and with me always is Simon. Say hello, Simon. Hello. I'm excited because I've seen 50% of those movies, so I'm very <laughs> excited to ask you many questions about the one I haven't seen, which I really want to see, but I'm looking forward to it. Yes, well, lucky for you, it's on you know Disney Plus with uh, premier access, which is, I don't know, I'm, I go back and forth on whether that sort of premium rental price is worth it. Uh, mostly because the Disney premium rental price is higher than everyone else's. But well, it's different uh, as well. It's it's not a rental price. You got to keep it. As, but as long as you're subbing to Disney Plus. That's true. But eventually they're going to put it on Disney Plus anyway. So. That's true. That's true. And you're going to tell me today if that's uh, something I should do. Just wait for it. That's true. Probably not the best thing to do to start out the podcast by... <laughs> You know, down talking Disney. But... <laughs> Wait for something. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. How have you been this week? Uh, I've been good. You know, it's uh, it's been an interesting time with uh, COVID and being on holiday and all kinds yeah. of stuff. Uh, yeah. And you? Oh, you know, usual. <laughs> trying to work in a heat wave, and now, uh, I, what's interesting today is that we have a heat wave and smoke from wildfires and a pandemic like this is the part of when you play plague ink and, and you're like oh, i'm running out of time i'm just gonna unleash everything oh yeah just the wildfires and and contagion and this and whoever's playing this game of plague ink is about to run out of time because we have these three things to do with uh, my wife works in healthcare and she was very entertained at for the the heat wave that's killing lots of um uh, especially elderly people the advice is to open all your windows and for the smoke that's really, really bad for elderly people, it's like, close all your windows. <laughs> it's like, maybe open them halfway. Yeah. So it's it's a tough time here for a lot of people. It's a true story. It's, uh, I, a while ago, I downloaded and installed a air quality app, which is actually, it's a super good app. Um, it's called uh, Breathable. It's like a buck on the app store. It works on Mac and iOS. I'm not affiliated with this. I just think it's cool. It's, all it does is put a widget on your screen that tells you the air quality where you live. And uh, as today was the worst air quality day since I installed it. <laughs> and it didn't get into unhealthy levels. It got into, quote, moderate levels. But uh, yeah, today was the worst day. I always think of your friend that you told me about on these occasions who is horribly uh, sensitive to, to wildfire smoke to the point where she needs to actually make sure it doesn't kill her. Like yeah, she's yeah. Allergic. She's, she's allergic to wood. Right. Yeah, it's the so thing. Air, airborne, breathable wood, not so great. Yeah, they live in Alberta now, too. So they've okay. actually been getting, I mean, it's only, I mean, they're getting some regional Canadian BS right now, but uh, the wildfire fires have been blowing east for the past couple of weeks, and now they're blowing west. So they've been getting the worst of it for the past few weeks. So this today was actually right. probably a respite for them. Well, good. Yeah. So that's very much like the you know the time period just before the first Mad Max movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Yeah. I really liked that first movie in that it it kind of bridges between normal and not normal yeah well in three of the four mad max movies 
the world has collapsed. And in the first one, it is collapsing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not normal anymore, but it's, you know, there's still the vestiges of normal that people yeah. are hanging desperately onto. Yeah. But they're still roving biker gangs. So it's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. Yep. So should we talk about beans? Yes, let's launch into beans. Uh, why don't you take us away with a quick uh, uh, recap of beans? Why are you getting the non-Canadian to do the Canadian history recap? So because beans, it sounds correct. classier with a British accent. Okay, so Beans is a movie about a young girl whose name is not Beans, but she has a name that uh, she goes by, which is Beans, because the uh, she's First Nations Mohawk uh, family, and she has a Mohawk name, and it's too difficult for uh, people to pronounce. Uh, outside of that community. So she just tells everyone to call her beats. And it's a coming of age story set against a true event in Canadian history, which it was the Oka crisis. So basically from from my non-Canadian point of view, it turns out that a golf club decided it wanted more golf space for golfing. And so- um, That's not fair. They wanted some space for resort condominiums too. Oh, yeah, that's right. They wanted to make a lot of money by uh, expanding the golf course and building condos. And so they decided to take some land next to the golf club. The problem is it was on the land of this uh, Mohawk uh, nation, reservation, what's the correct term? And within that land was a sacred spot, um, a burial ground, a very sacred, important burial ground. And and apart from that, it was their land like clearly their land and there was no discussion there was no negotiation they just decided to take it so um the mohawk people pushed back and it became very very violent i didn't know any of this like the i i have learned all of this in the last couple of days from watching this movie and i'm a little surprised by that because when you travel to canada canada's international racism record is pretty good it's yeah. pretty good. It can you guys have a reputation for not being racist? There's this big thing about Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving in America is, is like more of a rolling over everyone and killing everyone. And the big thing about Canadian Thanksgiving is that it was more of an agreement. I didn't know about blankets laced with uh, smallpox. I didn't know about. Well, yeah, the thing about American Thanks American Thanksgiving is that it celebrates the time that the Pilgrims were starving and the First Nations people you know, help them and they give thanks for that. I mean, they later brutally oppressed those people, but, you know, in that instance, they were given help and they give thanks for yeah. it. And it's all, it's like the most sanitized version of the story yeah. ever. So I, I was quite surprised that I'd never heard of this before because it's horrific. And honestly, there's some parts of this film where they show, um, they show the, uh, the, the, the French speaking Canadians, um, abusing the Mohawks, that they have actors abusing the Mohawks, obviously. And it could have come across as a bit sensationalist until what the director does very cleverly is that they actually insert real footage of taken from that time. And it is yeah, there's unbelievable. Lots of, there's lots I, of archival I, news footage that is just just gut-wrenching, really. Yeah, and we're, th- we're 30 years later now, so obviously attitudes have changed. So it's quite easy to look back on racist attitudes in the past, but 
from from a human interacting with another human like watching the 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 hatred spit out of these people towards the the mohawks who were defending their land and just the i texted you when i was watching it like did no one point out the irony of a bunch of people literally speaking a colonial language telling these people to get off their land like at what point did they go oh <laughs> i won't do a french accent and offend everyone hang on we're, we're the ones in the wrong here this is not a land we are we're literally speaking a, a colonial language it's just very upsetting well, that's the thing is that in 1990 it wasn't i you know it wouldn't have been ironic yet it was just still sort of the lay of the land it's, and that's crazy the oka crisis lasted for 78 78 days i want to say 78 80 days something like that you know over two months with right. it was an armed standoff and with you know barricades on one side and montreal police and military reserves on the other mostly police and an entire community of women and children just caught in the middle yeah and, and i think oh sorry so, i mean we're going to launch into the discussion of the film i think in a moment but what i will say yeah. as a canadian um is that if you're canadian you should see this yeah i agree if you're, if you're not canadian you should probably see this too um Simon was just mentioning that Canada has a fairly clean international record when it comes to racism. But the key to that is honestly just that it's it's really all about who you're racist towards. Mm -hmm. And our reputation is that we're not racist toward black people. And we're not that racist towards, you know, immigrants from the Caribbean and Iran and India. But our track record with indigenous peoples in this country from one side to the other is abhorrent. Mm -hmm. And there's no other, like, there's no other way to describe it. Um, yeah. And this, is a, and this is a very, you know, the, without going into too much discussion of the film, it's a little uneven, but um, it's important. Yeah, and, that's exactly and, what and I want to say. You, and you should definitely watch it. Yeah, I'm definitely, with you that when we get into the nitty-gritty of the film i before i start saying things that i didn't like about it because it's it, this backdrop is used for this coming of age story of this young uh how old would she be about 12 like yeah 10 or 12 grade seven? The, uh, the, her... so, so director Tra tracy deer uh grew up in montreal was born in 1978 Eight, so she would have been 12 she was in a lived on literally just the other side of the city so she was about 12 when this was happening right. like a, like across the river this happened literally just like across the river from where she right. grew up so there's no way that as a first nations person she wasn't affected by it as a 12 year old right so right. my yeah beans has got to be pretty much exactly the same age yeah so she so beans goes through this change of being this uh quite sheltered young girl who's been pushed by her mum to attend this very high class like academy um and she th through the violence I think it triggers this this willingness or this need for her to stand up for herself a bit more and so she starts mixing with the local kids who are a lot rougher than her and she she learns she goes through a very tough coming of age um and it's set against the 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 happenings of this time as well but no, I, what, I, what I was getting around to in a roundabout way is that even though there's parts of the film I didn't like, I think it's essential viewing. I absolutely do. And the the 
education I got from watching it was very, very important in terms of how I view Canada. And I don't really know anything about Canadian history at all. Certainly don't know. I'd never heard of this. And for such a major thing, I'm surprised it's not a bit more common knowledge. But yeah, you were, I mean, so how, how young were you? How old were you when this happened? This was 90s, right? So you were like... This is 1990. I'd have been nine. Yeah, summer 1990, I would have been nine. So do you have any memory of this happening? Uh, was it on the news? No, I mean, I'm sure it was on the news, but I don't, like, I was so young. I don't. Yeah. I mean, this is the type of thing, too, where I think it was I think it was you. Somebody asked me, I was talking with this about someone else, and they asked me, and they, um, and uh, sorry, sorry, I was talking with someone else, and the subject of the residential schools came up, and it was some, another friend who's from away. And they were like, how did you not know about this? Because I didn't learn about the Oka crisis. I didn't look, learn about residential schools or, and for those of you who are not in Canada, just Google the residential schools and prepare to have your heart ripped out because Canada committed a genocide. Um, but the reason is that, that we didn't learn about it when I was in school, especially high school, I graduated in the late nineties, is that at that point, A, we were still a lot more racist than we are now, but also it wasn't history yet. The last residential school closed in 1996. I was in grade 10. That's insane. Right? Like so you don't learn about stuff like that until after it's happened. You don't learn about it necessarily while it's happening, especially, I mean, sure there's mass media and stuff in the nineties, but I lived on the other side of the country. So, mm-hmm. and even, even what little we did hear about residential schools we heard we only heard in the context of their you know their totally sanitized intent we didn't hear about the actual context of their real intent mm-hmm. until i was an adult and i don't know if any of this is taught in schools today i hope that it is but i don't have any teenage kids so it's uh, i don't have anyone to really ask but yeah turns it's out it. turns out canada has a, a lot of black marks on its history so both my kids, I've got a 10, and a 10 and 6, and they go to a local school here, and they are very much taught about everything that's happening with the residential schools. They have lots and lots of um, First Nations interaction with community coming in. So my kids, have told, my kids have told me a lot of things that I didn't know as well. So there's definitely, certainly in this local school, more exposure to it, which is great. Yeah. I mean, just not to harp on Canadian history, but if you are in Canada, uh, I think it's the CBC a while ago, you'll have to Google it, but CBC published a map where you can plug in your postal code and it'll tell you where the nearest residential school was to where you live. And uh, there's probably one a lot closer than you think to where you live. Turns out there's one less than 30 kilometers from where I lived as a kid. Like just literally on like two islands over. Really? Yeah. Which island? Uh, I don't remember. I looked it up a couple weeks ago, but it's oh. like two two islands north of where I grew up on Salt Spring Island. That's crazy. Yeah. To be fair, it closed one of the earlier closures. It closed in the late seventies or early eighties, but like mm-hmm. that means it was still open when I was alive. So yeah. yeah. Should we talk about the film itself? Let's talk about the film itself. Yeah. So go ahead. 
so I actually generally, I actually quite like the film. Uh, I saw it for the first time. It played as part of the Vancouver International Film Festival in 2020. So it's only now just getting wide release. Um, as I mentioned before, it's in theaters as of right now, and it's headed towards an on-demand release in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember quite liking it. I think that the film is a little uneven. Um, I think probably my biggest issue is that while uh, uh, and I'm going to butcher your name. I'm sorry, Guillaumeo, who plays Beans, is excellent, and Rainbow Dickerson, who plays Beans' mother, is excellent, and the little girl whose name I can't remember, who plays Beans' oh, little April? sister, oh. uh, is also yeah. excellent. Yeah, she already commits. Viola, ooh, Beauvais. Uh, yeah, Viola Beauvais. Yeah, is excellent. Um. But a lot of the rest of the acting is a little bit on the flat and uneven side. Like the yes. a lot of the other kids, and I mean, it's I find it tough judging kid actors. But a lot of these ones are a little bit like I was about to say high school production, but like that's really cruel. It's just no, really, but you're I not guess, wrong. Like it's very like, much like the, a few more a few more takes or a few more classes. Um, yeah. And shockingly, I thought that. The guy whose name, again, I don't remember. I'm sorry. The guy who plays Beans' father was alternately really good sometimes and really flat others, like really, really uneven with his performance. Now, I'm going I'm to couch everything I just said in saying that the central performances, especially Beans and her mom, and the themes the film explores and the history it teaches far outweigh all of that. Um, but they are present and they you know, we need to talk about it. It's difficult, isn't it? Because this will this film won a couple of awards and this film won a bunch of I, awards, actually. I a number of times watching this film, I wondered to myself, would would this director have been better off making a documentary about the event? Because I for me the 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 cinematography and the the even way it was balanced and shown in the horrific events the, the events themselves, I thought, were a major highlight of the movie, if you want to call it a highlight. And that I learned so much from it. It was nicely shot. The scenic, the scenes were, were the, the landscape style scenes were nice. But so where just, it really fell down for me was the, like you, the acting and particularly the script and the direction of the human scenes just wasn't there at all for me. The, the central performance was very committed and very good. Um, I agree that some of the kids acting, having taught high school productions, I totally agree with that. But the for me, the the many of the adult actors were really poor. I thought her, the actor who played her dad was was so flat. And I just wish the script and the direction of the human element had been as good as the the focus on the historical element. Yeah, I didn't actually have a problem with the script itself um and just for the record just to run down the list here this film won best canadian feature at vancouver film festival um people's choice award at at kingston canadian film festival it won best supporting actress for rainbow dickerson and one to watch from the vancouver critics circle it won best feature film and the 
uh, from the Writers Guild of Canada. It won the DGC, DGC Discovery Award from the Directors Guild of Canada and at the Canadian Screen Awards, which for those of you outside of Canada are basically our Oscars, it won both Best Picture and Best First Feature. So it's not exactly an unacclaimed film. Um, There's a lot of good stuff in there. I, I mean, the, yeah, me, honest, the, yeah. So I actually am in the position where last year I saw most of the Best Picture nominees from the CSAs, and I don't, I don't actually have a problem with it winning. I don't have a problem when a film as important as this that maybe has some flaws wins. I think there's at least one film that I would say is a technically better film. Um, but none more important. And I think that, and honestly, how do you, Tracy Deer has a history in television. She made a very successful TV show for the CBC called Mohawk Girls, which I've never seen, but is very well regarded. Um, but I mean, as a first feature, like imagine having this as your first feature, like that's a hell of a first, like first yeah. thing on your resume. This is a hell of a thing. So uh, yeah, I, I sort of struggle. Cause like I say, I, there are, there are issues with the film, but I'm just going to again, say that I think that the good stuff far outweighs the bad for me. Yeah. The, I, I'll go back to thoroughly recommending it as a, a piece of history to, to, or a piece of education and a narrative that is carried by the central performance. I think the, the film is very lucky and that it has a, an actress like Gilwentio Tarbell, who is totally committed. Like she's so young and she's so committed and she has to do some very difficult things in this film. And she um, she's a very strong young actress, and that that quality is just not carried over to the rest of the the the, the humans in terms of their acting, the direction, or the script, which I, I think is a shame. So I will um, say it's a two one interesting thing, and I know that like acting can be it's a talent as much as it is a learned skill, but this is only uh, uh, Guillermo's. Um, and again, sorry that I'm butchering your name. I'm sorry. Um, but it's only her second credit. She was on right. and with an E, and then she was in this. And now she's on a, that new Ed Helms show, Rutherford Falls. So she's her resume is very short, but mm. she's she's it's this amazing performance for someone yeah. so young and with so little. I mean, maybe she's been acting since a young age on stage or something, but like this is only her third, her second credit on IMDb. Yeah, it's really impressive. She's going to do great things, yeah. I'm sure. And well, I will say that, like, I think some, I think I see what you're saying with some of the direction, at least of the human element. Because again, I think for me, it's it's some of those, some of the acting is just a little on the not good side. Mm -hmm. But I would say some of the, a lot of the direction is actually quite excellent, especially, especially in the scenes where shit is going down. Like, yeah. The first scene in the film when like so early in the film the family's all together it's mom and dad and beans and beans little sister and for the record at this point beans's mother is pregnant with their third sibling and they it's a, they really hear on the news that this resort from oka is trying to move in on their sacred burial ground 
And they're like, hey, let's go down to the protest. It'll be fun. And they go down to the protest and it's a very peaceful time. It's just people in a forest, you know, occupying the forest. And the kids go off and they, they find the burial site. And they start basically sprucing it up a little bit. They start cleaning off the gravestones and putting flowers down. And then the Montreal police attack. And it's a brutal, harrowing raid with smoke bombs and concussion grenades and gunfire and it comes out of nowhere and it is heart-wrenching and there's a later scene in the film where they're trying to get out of i guess out of montreal um to a safe space and they have to drive through an angry mob of french white french canadians and they the car they're in is the car which again is a pregnant mother and three children at this point in the back of the car and the mob just wrecks the car while they're in it and the whole scene which could have been over the top and could have been very sensationalist and could have rung kind of false rings incredibly true and just very scary and very like again as a canadian just disappointing and upsetting and so i think that I think, yeah, I think that, the, you know, where, again, it's one of those things where the parts of this that I think are good far outweigh the things that I think aren't good. Yeah, like I said earlier, all, all the parts, the direction of the non-dialogue scenes, like the two scenes you talk about, I, I liked a lot of the landscape shots. I liked a lot of the, the standoff shots as well. Whenever, whenever the film is not trying to capture people talking, it's really good like i really like that direction it's there's a huge disconnect between that the quality of the non-dialogue scenes and then when it shifts to dialogue i i feel like it's uh it kind of exposes the weakness of that direction but i do agree that the good outweighs the weak side but, and then this is wrapped in a bubble of you should watch this, you should learn about this thing. So it's definitely yeah. something that I would recommend people to watch. Yeah. And again, the, uh, the inserted news footage lends a real yeah. weight to the proceedings as well. Um, even just seeing I, signs like it's this, and honestly, it's the stuff that you see today when you see white supremacists marching in America and you know, the, the one time they tried to march here in Vancouver where they were vastly outnumbered, but, you know, signs that say, uh, there was one sign that was like, who's, who's protecting white rights. It's like, how, <laughs> how, can, how can you, how can you, like, we, we've been winning for so long. <laughs> yeah, we won. Like, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but That's I so guess. Much ignorance to, to this kind of racism. And this film really exposes that. There's so much ignorance to, to these kind of attitudes and they are still around here. Exactly. Yeah. I think we've come a long way, but I think we still have a long way to go. And uh, I think that this, this film is an important one in terms of reminding us, A, where we've come from and maybe B, how far we still, again, still have to go. Yeah. Because again, this stuff wasn't that long ago. Like, and for the record, if it was in, within my lifetime, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> Yeah. you know it's uh yeah turns out canada's bad <laughs> yeah. so 
I mean, not in every way, but definitely we, uh, we present ourselves as being sort of post-racial and we're definitely not that. Yeah. It's, it is very interesting as someone from England to come here and see the, learn about the reality of Canada as opposed to the, after uh, the, the reputation of Canada is, it's quite, it's quite different. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's it must really be, shocking. Those, it's interesting those, too because like everyone knows how you know England and UK were colonial and everyone knows how America's racist but it's it's very interesting to have you know the fact that and, and for a long time you know I, when I was young I I believed it too that Canada just wasn't wasn't racist but it turns out it's just that we you know we were racist in a different way <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um I liked the uh, the ending. So I I think a, a yeah good, the the, la- the last the last shot of the film is excellent. So again, it's car- it's a a very tight head and shoulders shot of beans, and I don't know. Are we spoiling? I feel like even with the spoilers we've talked about, I feel like the ending is best if you don't know it's coming. But there's a there's a very nice kind of pause at the end and a very strong moment from beans and again that actress that actress completely nails that the end of her arc it's very much a punctuation point of the end of her arc and i like it when a movie does that like has a really nice good clean satisfying ending and it's not overblown and it is justified as well because i thought when I thought they were probably going in that direction, I thought it was maybe a little hypocritical until it addresses that and it finds its way there and it justifies itself. And so I thought the ending actually was really, really strong, to be fair. Yeah, and I like how it sort of is a, a bit of a mirror image of the very first scene as well. Yeah. Um, and just and really, again, yeah, punctuates or drives home how she has changed as a person, even at 12. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, and that, that, that is probably one of the, the better moments in the whole yeah. film, for oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yep. So, Beans, you Beans, should yeah. probably watch it. You should watch Go it. learn something. Like I say, I think I've said it three times now, but Beans is playing in theaters across Canada right now uh, in, I think, all major cities, or most of them anyway. And if you are uncomfortable with going to the theaters, which... I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, it will yeah. be released on demand uh, later this fall, I believe. Actually, I asked the date, so let me just double check if they actually gave me the date. Uh, you know, I still haven't been to the theater since Underwater at the beginning of 2020. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a whole thing. Uh I went today and I'm going again tomorrow and I feel weird about it the whole time. What are you seeing tomorrow? Tomorrow I'm seeing the green Knight. Oh, uh, uh-huh. uh, yes. Beans. Is, sorry. Beans is in theaters now and it'll be on demand in November. So keep an eye on your local listings for mm. that because one way or another, it should definitely be on your watch list. Yeah. Uh, whether whether or not you are Canadian, but especially if you're Canadian, yeah, and it's, I guess especially if you're a white person in Canada, yes, yeah, good. So, so this the second movie we're going to talk about today is going to be interesting because I have not seen it <laughs> as much as I so, want to see it. 
So the second movie on our list is not an important film. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, got, I got a I got a question for you. Yeah, about, uh, we're going to talk about Jungle Cruise. The uh, Disney, to break tradition from their long histories, decided to make a family action movie based on one of their rides. Yes. Um, so I I watched the trailer. Let me let, let me throw this at you. I watched the trailer and I was counting the inspirations. And tell me if I'm wrong, but so far I've got Romancing the Stone, and I love Romancing the Stone. Indiana Jones, a bit of Tomb Raider. And a lot of parts of the Caribbean with a splash of the money. So, yeah, first, so let's first, let's just start with a brief recap. So Jungle Cruise is the latest Disney uh, family adventure film. It stars The Rock and Emily Blunt uh, as Frank, the Jungle Cruise riverboat skipper, and Emily Blunt as the spunky British uh, doctor ahead of her time because she's a woman. That's funny because spunky means something else in, it does. in British English. I mean, it means it's here too. It's, it's <laughs> Words can have more than one meaning. Um, and Jack Whitehall as her sort of uh, skittish brother, shall we say. Um, they head to the Amazon and hire the rock to take them upriver. He initially refuses, um, but then notices the MacGuffin that she's wearing around her neck and immediately agrees for far less than his original asking price because it is not at all tied to his obscure backstory. Um, meanwhile Jesse Plemons plays a prince of I think it's meant to be Germany but it's never outright said but Germany who's also headed up river and what they're all after is this sacred tree of life which I'm told I've never been on the ride but I'm told it's like the the feature of the ride is the tree of life and she uh, Emily Blunt wants petals from the tree of life because they'll revolutionize medicine they can heal any wound um Jesse Plemons, German prince, wants them because he's aware that a world war is coming. It's set, it feels like just before the First World War um, or in the middle of the First World War. And uh, he wants Germany to win. Meanwhile, Edgar Ramirez and a band of conquistadors are in the jungle and they're trapped there by a curse as they sought the Tree of Life 400 years previous. And they were, they ended up being cursed to never be able to leave sight of the river. And all of this like comes four movies so far. So all of this comes to a head in the third act. And before we get into spoiler town with this, because I know you're going to ask me a bunch of questions, but the primary references seem to be, to me, Pirates of the Caribbean, between the way all the conquistadors look, they're all sort of mutated like the. Davy Jones crew in Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that they're after, you know, a mythic thing. Um, and it very much has that same feel of Pirates of the Caribbean. But there's a lot of the 1999 Mummy movie mixed into, right down to The Rock as basically Brendan Fraser and Emily Blunt basically as Rachel Vice and Jack Whitehall basically as John Hanna. Um, uh, what else is there? Um, there's more. There's that like there, enough. there's splashes of Indiana Jones. There's a lot of references, really interestingly, to the works of Werner Herzog, in particular 
I think if you've seen these films, very obviously, Aguirre of the Wrath of God and Fitzcarraldo, both of which take place in the Amazon. And Aguirre in particular is literally the same explorer as the conquistador that Aguirre Ramirez plays. <laughs> He's playing the same character uh, that's Ian Aguirre of the Wrath of God. Um, there's also a lot of references, visually especially, to the, uh, I think it's 1950s, Humphrey Bogart, Catherine Hepburn okay. film, The African Queen. Yeah. Um, and and honestly, it could be obnoxious, but the film wears all these references so openly and on its sleeve that it's kind of endearing. <laughs> like, it's yeah, it's uh. I'm just gonna preface everything we're about to say because I don't know if this is a good movie, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm gonna love it. That's yeah. definitely that sounds like my kind of thing. What's yeah. the, the this kind of film is absolutely carried by the chemistry or lack of between the leads. What's the chemistry like between Emily Blunt and The Rock? It's good, and the chemistry between Emily Blunt and Jack Whitehall is good, and the chemistry between Jack Whitehall and The Rock is also good. And Jesse Plemons steals this movie every moment he shows up for. He plays. A German prince who pretty literally, all but literally, twirls his mustache. It is a man. You're looking at me like it's, you can't hear me. Oh no, I can hear you. I'm okay. trying to my go through my brain. Is Jesse Plemons the guy in um, date? No, date night, game night. Yeah, he's he's the, he's, he's the cop. He's the cop neighbor in game night. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he plays this like half mad German prince who again all but literally twirls his mustache with his evil plans <laughs> and like just you know very casually has people killed uh, and is like very much like a 30s serial villain and he's having the time of his life he walks away <laughs> every time he's on screen he walks away with the movie uh and he's he's great i also really just really enjoy i really enjoy jack whitehall i think he's a very interesting and funny performer and it's weird to me that he's never really broken big over here because he's a he's a British comedian and he's quite popular in Britain but he's not really a thing over here. I don't really know who he is. That's because you live here. I know him okay. because I watch things. I watch especially he's on uh, Graham Norton a lot. So that's where I have exposure to him. He also co he hosted Graham Norton when Graham Norton was sick uh, or on holiday or something. You, um, didn't, you didn't mention Paul Giamatti's in this. Oh, Paul Giamatti's in this for like I don't know, 30 seconds. He plays oh. <laughs> the crusty Italian harbor master with whom The Rock has a has a, a rivalry. Like the Rock is selling this movie to me right now. Like the, the Rock has this. So the Rock's character, Frank, um, owns this boat, and it is the most dilapidated boat you've ever seen. And Paul Giamatti's character owns like a dozen tour boats that are immaculate. <laughs> and when Emily Blunt, when uh, Emily Blunt's character and The Rock's character first meet, she thinks that he's Paul Giamatti because she wants to take a really good boat upriver. Mm -hmm. But you know, hilarity ensues, and she ends up with The Rock. Sorry, Dwayne Johnson. I don't think we're calling him The Rock anymore, or he doesn't want to be called that anymore. But whatever. And honestly, the movie's fun. Like it's not particularly deep. Um. Like and I wouldn't even say it's as good as most of its references, but mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with being a solid three out of five, man. Like, yeah, you know, if uh, I think that the Mummy, I think the 1999 Mummy is kind of a perfect movie, and this is aping that pretty hard. It doesn't quite succeed at the same level, but 
it gets it's close enough it's close enough that it's still fun you know if i have one major complaint about the movie I mean, so, yeah, I mean, yes, there's a lot of things about it you'll be able to predict when you're watching it because you've seen these movies before. But I honestly, if I have one complaint, it's actually more that it's a little too CG heavy. Like, it never really feels like they're on a river in the Amazon. It basically always feels like they're surrounded by green screens. Yeah. And I know that they filmed in Hawaii, and I know that they did film on water, at least at some points. But there's CGI all over the place, right down to like at one point the boat like goes through some reeds and a ton of CGI frogs leap out of the way. Like there's a lot of CG, like a lot of CG. There's a main character that's a not a main character, but there's a supporting character that is a leopard called uh, Proxima, and she is played by a man in a suit and then CGI'd into a leopard, and it How makes me. It's very obvious. It's weirdly. Oh weirdly it's less obvious than it was in the uh, call of the wild movie with harrison ford where that was also a man in a suit playing a dog um it's more obvious than that and that was like two years ago um yeah i saw a trailer uh, i've seen a couple of trailers and that it just it looks dated already from the trailers there's one uh is it edgar ramirez has snakes coming out of his face at some point and that, yeah, that, did, not, so, that did not look good so all of the conquistadors um have been trapped in the jungle for so long it's it's like the davy jones crew from the pirates of the caribbean two and three right. where like they've all mutated so one is made out of like bees nests and honeycomb and one is made out of mud and edgar ramirez is made out of snakes and they're right. all they're all made out of trees and bushes too though it's it's not really clear right and I really like Edgar Ramirez. I think he's a super interesting performer. I think he's a very good actor. This role could have been anyone. It's so CGI'd. Yeah. And you know, it's just like, I don't begrudge seeing him at all, but there's nothing, there's nothing there to the role, right? There's no like hidden depths. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't begrudge him taking that. Like, it seems like it's probably, it was a lot of fun, but he, his his him and all the other conquistadors are so a part of the problem of it being so CGI'd that it kind of makes it hard to break disbelief. You know what I mean? What's the problem here? Because the particularly the first two pirates movies that are both very good movies, and in the second one, if you look at Davy Jones's CG now, um, with the the kind of octopus tentacles and and all the detail and all the his crew members being sort of like half fish and hammerhead sharks and things. It still holds up. We watched it really recently and it holds up brilliantly. It just looks really, really good. What, what's the problem here? What, cause obviously it's got to be many of the same production approaches, if not the, the same team. So what's the, what's the problem here? So I've been thinking about it and I think that in all cases, whether we're talking about, the design of the conquistadors or just the the amount of cg in the environment is that it's all dialed to 11 like it's mm-hmm. there's no there's subtle, there's, there's very little subtlety to any of it right. um it's a li- it's you know it's it's and i really like jean jean colesera he's directed a lot of movies that i really like and again i like this movie but it is CGI to the gills 
Like again, it it never feels like it never feels like they're actually on a boat in the Amazon. It always feels like they're on a green screen set or maybe on a maybe on a body of water but surrounded by green screens. And even um, like even the and then stuff like the 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 boat which is old and dilapidated still feels weirdly clean, you know. It's it's and I know it's meant to look like the boat from the Jungle Cruise ride, or I guess it is. I've actually can been on that ride, but um, yeah, it's it, it, that's the problem. It's just it's just all dialed to eleven. There's no there's no subtlety. Is this is this being set up as a franchise? Are there hints towards sequels at the end? No, I would say that like like the 1999 Mummy, it definitely. Like you could definitely make a franchise out of this. You could definitely set up another adventure with the same characters. But this movie has a very deliberate beginning, middle, and end. Right. Um, and it's a happy ending. And and right. yeah. Um, but and I don't if they made another one, I will totally watch it. But Jum Kalisara is busy directing The Rock in Black Adam for next year or the year after. Twenty twenty two, I think. That. I just see that he's the director of the shallows as well, which I loved. Yeah, and the commuter and nonstop, both with Liam Neeson. Those are excellent bottle movies, like dad action bottle movies. And Run All Night. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, Run All Night is good too. The commuter um, features an early appearance by Florence Pugh as a punk pickpocket. Oh, really? Yeah, she's really good. And uh, uh, non nonstop has Lupita Nyong'o as just like one of the stewardesses on the plane. Oh, cool. Yeah, they're honestly like Jean Jean. Jean Collesera makes good films. Uh, he makes very high-grade B movies normally, and it's right. it's really interesting to see him play with what is obviously a much higher budget than he's used to, or that mm -hmm. he's had access to before. But yeah, everything is dialed to eleven, um, and it's it's a little bit too much. And it's you know I uh, I was checking some of the reviews from people who I uh, like, like say. Um, uh, Matt Singer from Screen Crush and a few others, and uh, and they're sort of all in the same boat. And the difference is that, like, where they're giving it, you know, two out of five, I'm giving it three. I just, right. you know, the the good stuff. Again, if we're going to put the good stuff and the bad stuff on a scale, I think for a lot of people, it's going to be pretty even. For for it's going to be a pretty fine line between which side's going to outweigh which. For me, the good stuff outweighs the bad. Um, I think for a lot of people, the bad stuff is outweighing the good, and I, you know, the movie's I think sitting at a consensus level of about three out of five right now. So, uh, is it rewatchable re though? Because these great action movies, a, a sign of a really good action movie is that you can just watch it over and over and over. Would you watch this again? I mean, I will probably watch it again when it eventually hits Disney Plus. I don't, you know, I don't feel the need to. It's a difficult one to ask, right? Because Disney provided me with a screener so I could watch it ahead of release. So I didn't need to purchase it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't... I don't think it's not... I think I think if you like this kind of movie... Like, I think if you look it down the list and say, I liked Pirates, I liked The Mummy, probably speaking, you'll find something to enjoy in it. I can warn you now, it's not as good as either of those movies. Right. Yeah. But it's still fun. And the Rock is fun. The Rock makes dad jokes the entire way through, and it's <laughs> and like, so I, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed them. I know some people probably won't, but I really liked every single one. It's 
there's a, a feature out on Disney Plus about the um, all the attractions, and they've done. We watched the Jungle Cruise one, and apparently, one of the features of Jungle Cruise at Disneyland is that the skipper tells really bad jokes all the way around, and apparently, lots of those have made it into the script, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, there are, I could there's so many I can't remember any of them, but uh, like there's bad jokes all the way through and i mean there's a big twist and if you have been paying attention to what i've said you could probably guess what that twist is you'll probably i don't think you need to say it we'll talk about it after okay um <laughs> so but yeah if you if you like that kind of film if you like disney family adventures if you mm-hmm. like movies that are throwbacks to like the 1930s serial adventures like the mummy if you yeah. liked pirates of the caribbean then you'll probably find something to like in this movie and is this kid friendly or is it a little too scary? Like the, the mummy's too much for my kids. If the mummy's too much for your kids, but Pirates of the Caribbean isn't, then I have no idea how to grade this movie in terms of <laughs> violence. Because I those two movies are on the same sort of plane of family friendliness to me. Well, the mummy, the problem with the mummy is that it begins with that sacrifice and and uh, murder and buried alive and it's just too much so this movie the, this movie does begin with it begins with the conquistadors you know with a story of the what happened 400 years ago and uh there's some off-screen violence uh and it comes back to that a few times to sort of further give it context um i mean i would say that it's probably family friendly i uh, it's maybe I haven't even looked. I'm not sure what rating it is. Probably Canadian PG, PG or PG 13, yeah. maybe in America at the most. But it's like it's a family movie. Like I don't mm-hmm. think you should have any real reservations. Yeah. I do want to see it. I'm not going to pay thirty five dollars to see it, but I do want to see it. I'm. I feel fine to wait for this to hit Disney Plus in a couple of months. Yeah, and I think that's fine. I mean, no one's gonna. It's gonna make its money no matter what, right? So. Um, and if they make another one, even if it's a totally disconnected adventure, but with the same characters, I will totally watch that. Like The Rock mm-hmm. and Emily Blunt and Jack Whitehall are all eminently watchable, mm-hmm. you know. And they're, I will say, there's one other thing, and it's no really good way to shoehorn this in, so I'm just going to shoehorn it in now. There's one thing that I find super interesting about this movie, like mm-hmm. very, very interesting about this movie, and it's that if you think about the history of Disney over the last, say, 10 years they have had a first gay character in a disney film um, i think like seven times mm-hmm. and all of those times have been like oh is a you know in onward it's like there's lesbian police officers in the background <laughs> and more recently in cruella like there's a main character like some main supporting character who's obviously gay and i think if i remember correctly they show him like with another man but it's never outright stated what's going on and it's not plot relevant at all don't, don't forget the rise of skywalker <laughs> and there's a there's a lesbian <laughs> kiss in the right so this movie has an out gay character that is both plot and character relevant and they haven't made a peep about it huh it's super weird <laughs> like they made such a big deal out of all these this like non-representation for so long and now they actually have some actual real halfway decent representation and they haven't talked about it at all as far as i can tell Hmm. super weird super weird i don't know how disney decides they want to do things but it's weird 
So. I, I yeah, I would say it starts and ends with money. That's uh, a pretty safe bet. <laughs> they are, you know, forty percent of all of our media at this point. Wow, that's kind of sad, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, we live in an age of, you know, monopolies and corporate overlords and uh disney's definitely on their way to being one of them i yeah for me it was when they took over 20th century fox and immediately nixed a, like a bunch of stuff that they would not release under the disney banner including the um uh, i think nimona the animated nimona was about 80 percent done and they just killed that and the diehard prequel which was called Good habits die hard. <laughs> wow. Was immediately killed as well, which had a young John McClane and apparently wasn't terrible. So I think that was um, actually only recently oh, no, no, finally wait. officially killed. Wait, wait, wait. Good habits die hard was a was the another die hard movie where he goes back to the J- Japanese Nakatomi Plaza in the anniversary of the first one. Yeah. Anyway, all the die hard got killed. Yeah. So I there's I 20th Century Fox when I was growing up, that fanfare um, really is connected to so many movies that were an important part of me growing up. And when they got bought out by Disney, I was kind of worried that the kind of things you'd see in 20th Century Fox and the, what was their really cool sort of low-budget offshoot called? Uh, I can't remember. But you're not, we're not going to see that kind of stuff Again, well, certainly not with a banner because it doesn't exist anymore. But it's, well, you know, it's just twentieth century studio. I think, yeah. The thing is, I think we do. I think we will see that kind of stuff, but it's going to be on Disney Plus, or if you're in the states, it's going to be on some combination of Disney Plus and Hulu. But, but Disney won't produce anything. I don't know. It might be remotely off-brand. I think I'm looking forward to the Alien TV show by Noah Heat. You, you know his name. The Fargo guy is making an alien TV show for Disney Plus. Is he? Noah yes. Holly? That's him. Yeah. Because um, he's 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 been, I think he's been he's the one who's been contracted to make a Star Trek Star film. Star Trek as well. Um well, yeah. I mean, so I mean on the other hand, like the next there's a you know the the next sort of what's it called? There's a movie coming up in the fall called The Last Duel which is sort of a re- reunion oh, of sorts of like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck mm-hmm. as screenwriters about the last duel ever in France. And that's 20th century. So like, mm-hmm. they're still making movies. They're still making like non Disney movies under the 20th century banner. My bigger reservation, and please don't hate me for saying this Disney, but my bigger reservation is that more media being under the same overall tent means less media. And fewer jobs for all, like, even just, even aside from eliminating redundancies in your houses when you merge two big corporations like that. Um, It means that there's less competition each weekend because Disney's not going to put a Disney, a Pixar, a Marvel, a Star Wars, and a 20th century film back to back, like, all in the same weekend, which means there's going to be fewer movies every year. Mm-hmm. And I know we all talk about how there's a lot of movies every year, and there are, but increasingly, 
it feels like the difference between AAA and indie and very little in between. And I know that's very oversimplifying the situation, but mm-hmm. the stuff that's going to get, there's going to be less of the big stuff that's going to get you into theaters. I guess is where I'm going with this. Yeah. And I don't necessarily want to only have one choice every weekend. Yeah. So. Do you think the, um, the, uh, that kind of parallel theatrical release and Disney Plus release that has Scarlett Johansson very unhappy at the moment. Do you think that's going to completely end and they'll go back to like that period of months between the dedicated theatrical release and then three months later you get your your Blu-ray and then your on-demand? Do you think it will go back to how it was before or, or some kind of hybrid? I don't see how it can possibly go back to the way it was before entirely. I think that there's just I think that there's just too many people who are used to being able to access stuff at home now. I think there's not as much stuff that's going to get people into theaters now. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that Disney has shifted things away from so Jungle Cruise will actually will have been the last film they do unless there's like another huge wave of COVID will have been the last film that they do day and date theaters and Disney Plus. Their next big releases, which are pretty much Free Guy in mid-August and Mm -hmm. Shang-Chi at the end of August to early September, those ones have already been announced that they will have at least a 45-day window between theatrical release and being available on demand in any way. Um, And several other studios are going that way too. Um, Elevation Pictures in Canada, uh, which is the main distributor for A24 out of the States, they're going back to them pretty much theatrical model only. Um, weirdly, Warner Brothers, who announced, you know, they announced at the beginning of the year they were going to do day and date on HBO Max with all their major releases, and they're sticking to that. So yeah. Suicide Squad should be, you know, available in Canada. It's a premium rental for $25 probably, but it should be available to watch on Friday, uh, which I, is the 6th. I would probably go to the theater to watch Suicide Squad. It strikes me... Uh, as the kind of movie that would really benefit from a crowd, although it's, it's meant to be very, very good. So I'm sure I'd enjoy it anyway. But I think having a, a bunch of people, although it won't be a full theater, I don't know. Do, are, are there still seats that separate you from other people at the moment? Yes, there are. Right. The spacing requirements, at least with Cineplex cinemas, has gotten, has been reduced. It used to be three seats on the other side and a full row in front of you. And now I believe it's one seat on the other side and a row in front of right, you. Right, okay. Or front and behind. So you're separated by one. Um, but the nice, it's honestly, it's kind of nice having a not quite full theater for a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So there's much, you know, there's fewer people. So you get less of that real crowd interaction when it's good. But it also yeah. means you get far less of that real crowd interaction when it's terrible. So. Yeah. <laughs> Lot, there's been lots of movies I've seen. Well, anything that's sort of mid-tier, like I saw Old today. And the last M. Night Shyamalan movie that I saw in a theater, I think was it was probably Split, but what I'm remembering is um, The Visit, and my screening of The Visit was about as full today as my screening of Old was today. Probably a little fuller, but there was just these assholes who weren't into it in the back who wouldn't shut up with their commentary track, you know, and there's far less yeah. with the distancing stuff in place. There's far less chance of that happening now. And yeah. uh, it's, 
And also the other interesting thing I've noticed, I've been to the movies a few times in the past few weeks, and it seems like people who are going to the movies are people who want to watch the movies, which is uh, kind of a novelty what? at this point. Yeah. Anyway. I, I, I do miss the movie theater experience. I don't miss being really like distracted and absolutely obsessed with anyone who takes their phone out or talks. Because yeah. it can and does ruin an entire movie for me but then you miss a i i'm so glad i saw underwater in a theater because that was the kind of movie that needed the big dark experience and secondly we would have missed out on the dude at the beginning of rise of skywalker who got thrown out that's Um, true we would never have experienced that wonderful moment of don't you know what this means to me this is serious Yeah, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> when, the the rise of, you can when the Rise of Skywalker came out, there's a news story uh, about a guy in a Vancouver theater who was thrown out for assaulting someone, and we were at that screening. <laughs> but he uh, got very angry because someone was talking as the as the kind of the, the scroll started. And by, he I think this guy, shut up. The, this guy got stood up and started screaming at the people around him like this is serious i've waited 18 months for this and the whole thing is just like losing their mind just laughing at him yeah and so as the, he got he gets thrown out but then as the the the, the cruel continues someone at the back is like this is serious and everyone's just like laughing by that point turns out that was the best part of that movie yeah i mean on the other hand um and I, this will be the last thing I say, just because I think we're running a little bit long. Okay. But um, you also miss out on, and uh, so you also miss out on, um, and it's interesting because this is also a Star Wars movie. We watched together The Last Jedi, which is the best modern Star Wars film. Uh, but, and this is not a spoiler because you should have seen The Last Jedi by now. But there's a scene where Vice Admiral Holdo pilots a transport and destroys not only Snoke's ship, but every other Imperial First Order ship there. And in that moment, which is very dramatic and accompanied by a moment of silence as just the ships rip apart in the sky. And the guy right behind me said, I just split him right in half. (laughs) Like full volume. I just can't. Nice. They just, just split him right in half. Like, wow. Like in a silent theater at full volume. So we also miss out on that. <laughs> uh, and now I'm thinking about Mad Max when the 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 rig, the people it is rig explodes and the whole place like laughed and applauded. I'm not gonna get that again. But it's kind of the theater, but we went to see Jurassic Park with the VSO playing live Jurassic Park. Yep. And the girls next to us were overreacting to everything, like really like scared by everything until we realized they'd never seen Jurassic Park before and were absolutely like losing their mind for the first time. And it was wonderful. Yeah, it went from wonderful. went from annoying to adorable, like immediately. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Context matters, so anyway, people. Anyway, maybe I will go back to the theater. I kind of miss it. Yeah. Well, anyway, on that note, yes. uh, Beans, definitely see it. If you can, mm-hmm. it's playing in theaters in all major cities and again on demand this coming November. So add it to your watch list either way. Jungle Cruise, I enjoyed it. And I think you might too. Um, it's definitely, you know, to use a baseball metaphor, it's not the home run that the mummy or Pirates of the Caribbean is. It's a, But it is a solid double straight up the middle. 
Uh, and, yes. and it's carried by the chemistry of the rock and Emily Blunt at Jack Whitehall. And again, Jesse Plemons, who at this point is always a win, um, is just great. So I, I, I recommend it. I, I'm in the minority of people, I think, who are recommending it, but I think it's fun. Good. So, good. And on that, I think we're going to sign off. Thank you so much for your listening. If you like what you hear, now is the time when we ask you for subscriptions and likes and reviews on your podcasting platform of choice. We are currently available on, I think, 10 different popular podcasting platforms so wherever you're listening if you could subscribe if you could like if you could review those things help us as much or more than monetary support does but if you prefer you can support us by going to patreon.com slash mc simpson and supporting us either recurring uh with a recurring uh pledge uh, which starts at only two bucks a month so please support us we like doing this and support helps us keep doing it and either way we love you all Hey, thank you for listening. And we'll see you hopefully this time next week. Bye-bye. Bye.